you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and find your way to that passage there in Romans 6. We will be in that passage primarily the whole time today. We might jump around just a tad as we've done throughout the, the, the summers. We look at this idea of being truth-shaped and what that means and how our identity is secure in who we are in Christ. And we find who we are and we find who Christ is through the tru- truth that's been revealed to us in God's Word. That we can't seek for it anywhere else, but we must find our identity. We must find who Christ is in Scripture so that we can then shape our lives, or, or rather see how it shapes our lives around it. And so we want to do that. It's kind of like a core values, if you will. You can, you can look back on these and see who we are as a church, what we're going to stand on, what we're going to affirm as it comes to teaching, but also individually. And that's, that's the beauty of the church, really, is that it's individuals living a truth-shaped life that creates a church that's based on the truth. And so when all that works together, you have, you have a truly functioning church, a functioning body of Christ that then takes the gospel to those around us and then to the world. And when we look at this passage, we see really this idea of this, really, when, when I first was, when I first accepted Christ, I was saved, the, the big question is then is what now? Like what, you, you get that all this stuff, you're supposed to change, the gospel's supposed to change how you live, but it's like, well, what does that actually look like in your life? What am I supposed to do? And today we're going we're gonna to take a, a snapshot look at that. We're going to look at what it means. The, the big word, if you want the big church word, is, is sanctification. This process of growing in the likeness of Christ and through the action of God and ourselves, that we're a part of this process. And so this, but really when we look at it, and that's why we have truth-shaped freedom today, is that that, that sanctification process is a process that, that makes our freedom in Christ more and more vivid. That as we live our lives, we're freed by the power of the gospel with the Holy Spirit working in us to live our lives and to be shaped by the truth. And so that then allows us to be sanctified or growed, growing closer and closer into his image. And, and to do this, we, we have to submit ourselves to him. See, if we will real fast, just pray with me as we get ready to, to look in this. Father, we, we come before you, God, and I just pray that as we approach your truth, God, that we would approach it with the correct motivation, God, that we wouldn't seek to alter its teaching or, or its impact in our lives to make us comfortable, God, that we would be completely submissive to your truth, and as a result, our lives would be dra- drastically changed because of it. And we just thank you that that you gave us your truth, God, that we don't have to seek it, but you've given it to us. You've passed it down, and we can look at it and know how to live a life that's shaped by the truth that you have given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at this process of being shaped by the truth so that we might have freedom to live in Christ. The, the first thing we see in this passage is that there has to be this transformation. There's a transformation that happens. If you look at verse 11, really 11 through 14, it says, so, I must, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And we need to see in that what he's talking there is verse 11 is kind of a bridge for chapter 6. 
If we look at that, he's saying you must also consider yourself. He's bringing in everything he just taught, 1 through 10, and then he's using that as a bridge to take us then to the rest of the chapter. So you must consider yourselves, and 11 as a bridge, it's kind of a summary of 1 through 10. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a good summary of 1 through 10. Are we going to keep sinning? No. Why? Because we've been changed. There's been a transformation that's happened. And then in, in 12, 13, and 14, we see this little, we see this description of what that transformation is. It says, Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There's that transition from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. And we see in those, those four verses there this transformation that happens. When someone is going to then be shaped by the truth first, there's this transformation that has to happen. That if we want to go off sanctification and we want to use the, the big words, is this is regeneration. This transformation that happens and, and defined, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology defines regeneration as simply, it's a secret act of God which he imparts new spiritual life to us. It sounds big, but it's actually pretty simple. It's a secret act of God, secret meaning we don't have a part in this. When we hear the gospel, at some point when we're hearing the gospel, the spirit comes into our life, regenerates us, imparts new spiritual life to us, so then we're brought from death to life. And the reason we talk about that when we're talking about this truth-shaped freedom or this sanctification process is because that's the initial step. That we can't grow closer and closer into the image of Christ if we haven't been brought from death to life in Christ. And we do that through the Spirit. Rather, the Spirit does that in our lives. And we understand that. Think about it. If you've, if you've been saved and you've understood the gospel, why did you? It just did, right? I remember sitting there thinking, oh, it makes sense now. That's that, that's that secret act of God. For some reason, you understood stuff differently. For some reason, when you heard the gospel, you, you, you realized it. It's that first step in the process of growing more and more like Christ because now you have new spiritual life. You're brought to be like Him. And so what do you do then? What's this transformation? How does it happen? That's verse 11. You must consider. You mean, it has already happened. This isn't something that's going to happen. He says, you must consider. Consider what? That you're dead to sin. That sin will have no dominion over you again. That's verse 14. They tie together in that. So if you're going to be a transformed person by the washing and renewal, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be dead to sin. You're going to be dead to to sin, that you're going to keep sinning, yes. I'm not saying that dead to sin means that you're never going to sin again, because if you've experienced people, you've experienced sin. It just happens. I've said that, I think, I think it comes up every week. I always say that people are unlovable, right? It's because of sin. Because sin comes out, we're selfish, we want, we want to take the best for us all the time. And so we're going to keep sinning, but what we need to understand is that we're dead to sin, meaning that we don't seek to sin anymore. That it doesn't have dominion over us. We can overcome the power of sin. We can overcome that. 
Sin is no longer controlling us in that sense. Prior to hearing the gospel, prior to being regenerated, this new spiritual life, sin controlled us. That's all we did. We lived a life separated from God. But now Paul's saying that, no, once you have this transformation, you have to consider yourself dead to sin. There's no other alternative. But if you're dead to sin, what replaces those desires? If we have sinful desires, what replaces those? That's the next part, that we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we're no longer controlled by sin. We're dead to sin, but we're alive to God. So it's not just we just don't sin anymore, but no, we still have a purpose. Prior to understanding, prior to this transformation, our purpose was sin. That's just what we did. And that's why the gospel's bad news before it's good news. It's bad news because it starts with you being a sinner. But it's good news because you're dead to sin. Now you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that transformation takes place. God, does, God replaces those desires to sin with himself. Through the Spirit, we see with our spiritual eyes this pursuit of holiness that goes to him. Because he paid the penalty for sin, we live our lives to God. Because if we're alive to God, then that implies that we're going to live our lives to God. We have this new life, this new transformation that's happened. If we're going to be shaped by the truth, live in freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin, then we're going to be alive to God in Christ. That's a transformation that happens. Death to life. That's the, that's the heart of the gospel. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from from your flesh and it will give you a heart of flesh. He's talking about that renewal that happens inside. Now you're not going to have a heart of flesh. You're going to have a new heart and a new spirit within you to worship and praise Him because apart from that, we're not going to praise God. We're going to praise ourselves. I mean, look at, look at history. We're, we're very good at praising ourselves, aren't we? I, mean, I always talk about that. We always talk about taking pictures. I always take pictures when I'm grilling food. I'm like, hey, check this out. Right? It's just natural. You do it. You're like, hey, look what you can't do. But we, we're always quick to put it on ourselves. But what we must understand is we're going to be shaped by the truth and we're going to be free to live that we're not the ones that get the praise. That it's Him. And that happens only through transformation. That only through transformation. And then that's what Paul shows us. Verse 13 is then how you do that. Do not present your members... To, your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't give your bodies over to that anymore. But what? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. See, you have to realize the transition if you're going to bring yourself, this transformation, if you're going to bring yourself to God. And what? Present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He's talking about you're going to present your body, your life, to God as instruments of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. And you see that play out all the time. David is probably the best example in the Bible of that. He allowed God to use him. The, the, the most famous thing, the kids are always taught, David and Goliath. What did he do? He allowed God to use his body for his purpose. Right? And we want to celebrate that. But then what happens later when he's king and he's looking out over everyone and he sees Bathsheba? And then he allows his body to be used for unrighteousness, for adultery, for murder. What changed? It was where he was allowing his body to be taken. And so we have this great hero of the faith, a man after God's own heart, is allowing his body to be used as unrighteousness. And what Paul's saying here is that if you don't, you don't have to do that. 
David didn't have to sin that way just like we don't. And I always talk, I always use murder as an example. Like, I don't know anyone that's murdered anyone. And that's great because it's really kind of this high level, like, you can't really, it's, okay, that's great. But that means you, you have the ability and you're not supposed to use your body as unrighteousness when you can set yourself up to look better at work. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be dishonest for gain at work or in relationships. We don't have to be the ones that gossip. We can overcome that. Why? Because we've been brought from death to life. We're no longer living for sin. Sin is dead to us. We're dead to sin and we're alive to God. So we can overcome that because of the transformation. The transformation happens. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. We always like to quote Romans 12, 1 and 2 that presents your bodies as living sacrifices. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. In Romans 6, a living sacrifice is someone that's going to allow their body to be used for righteousness. That's a living sacrifice. You're going to present your body to God as someone that's been brought from death to life to use in righteousness. That's a living sacrifice because then you're living your life where you are on mission for God because you're alive to Him and you're dead to sin. Because sin will have no dominion over you. That's, verse 14 should be so comforting to you. The first part of that. For sin will have no dominion over you. If we are in Christ, if we've seen this transformation, this gospel transformation being brought from death to life, then sin has no power over you. That doesn't mean that you're not going to screw it up. We're probably all going to screw it up when we leave at some point today. But what it means is that consequence, that we don't have to do that. That we can live for God and we can understand that. And that really that brings us to the next part of this idea of truth-shaped freedom. That, that we have this transformation. That transformation then points us to obedience. If we're going to live our lives as a living sacrifice, if we're going to present our lives to God for righteousness, we have to obey how He's going to live. He empowers us to do that. And that's what, 15, that's what verse 15, what then are we to sin because we're, no, we're not under the law but under grace by no means. 6 verse 1, what should we say? Are we going to continue to sin so that grace may abound? No. So just because the consequence of sin has been taken away doesn't mean that we just live our life in, in all sorts of sin and everything because, well, we have grace. And see, that's, that's what Paul's warning us against here in verse 15 because that's what we'll do, Right? That if we say, all of a sudden we've got grace, then it doesn't matter. We've got grace. He extends grace when we didn't deserve it. So why do I have to, does it matter how we live? Absolutely it does. And that's a problem with part of the church is, is that we, we have a problem here, particularly in, in our culture of preaching grace but not preaching obedience. Without obedience, grace means nothing because it hasn't captivated you. If you continue to live however you want to, then you really don't understand the gospel. Then you really haven't been transformed from dead to sin. If you can continue sinning, are you dead to sin? doesn't mean that you're not going to. It means your desires. What's captivated you, we should be obedient. So that's why he explains what that looks like in verse 16. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave, your slaves are the one whom you obey? That's, that's common sense, right? If you're under someone, if you put yourself to someone, you're a slave to that person. You might think, I'm a slave to my boss because I have to do whatever they say. 
but there's people over you. And that's what he's saying. There's this idea that you are a slave to whatever you put yourself. But he does this in a spiritual aspect when he says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Know this, there's not an in-between. We're either going to be in our sin, living our lives to sin, as a slave to sin, or we're going to live our lives, what? Through obedience, which leads to righteousness. So obedience to what? To God, because we're going to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. And that's that. So whatever, think about your life right now. What are you placing yourself under? What are you submitting your life under to provide something that God should be providing? Maybe it's success and, and wealth. That, that I'm going to be successful, I'm going to work hard. We have, a, we have a culture that still tries to just work hard and everything will happen. Well, that's great until it doesn't happen. Because success and wealth, we, we can't be any more successful or any more wealthy than we are in Christ. Maybe it's security, comfort, family. If any of those things are above Christ, then we're putting, them, we're putting ourselves under that. Instead, we should be putting ourselves through obedience in Christ, which leads to righteousness. There's not this in-between that, oh, we'll do this over there, and then we'll come do this, and I'll repent. We need to stop repenting continually in the sense of that's what's gaining us our salvation. We just need to live for that, understanding that when we mess up, that penalty's been paid. It's not a, I'll go mess up, and then I'm just going to repent because of grace. It's a live your life focused on Him, which does mean you're going to repent continually, but it's a repentance of knowing how we're supposed to live, not how we're choosing just to mess up so we can then come back. Verse 17, if you, if you highlight or underline, just underline those first four or five words, but thanks be to God. So that's, that should be the most comforting thing that we read today. But thanks be to God. Why? Because it was Him that did this. It's an amazing statement. It's an amazing realization that, that we have this ability to be dead to sin and alive to grasp why. But thanks be to God because He's the one that did it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We've been saved by faith through grace. By grace through faith. It's not us doing it. But thanks be to God. So this whole time how you're trying to figure out how to live an obedient life, we need to realize, but thanks be to God that we even have that opportunity. Because if it was according to His wrath, we should be dead. It should have stopped in the garden as soon as sin entered. But no, we have life. Why? Because we have a God that extended grace and mercy to us. So thanks be to God that we even have this ability to be on mission for Him. Because He's a just God. He didn't have to. And then we see this whole idea of what that works out. And Paul says in Philippians 2, he says it this way. He says, Therefore, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, because he was writing them a letter, he's not with them. He says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. So we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To work out, that implies forward movement. It doesn't mean figure it out and then start doing it. You work it out as you live your life in realizing that it's God that works in you for His purpose and His pleasure. It's not our effort that does anything except bring sin. We have to remember that. We have to understand that. 
Because both of those, if we're going to continue and to work out our salvation, as Paul said in Philippians, then it's going to imply forward momentum. We have to be living our life. Why or how? Dead to sin and alive to God. Presenting our bodies not to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but to God for instruments of righteousness because of what he's done. And we understand that transition. We understand that, that transformation that happens. It leads us to obedience. Right? If someone walked up, money's the easiest way to, to do this. If someone walked up to you and, was, and, you, and, and completely offered you, say, this huge financial thing, just completely changed your life, don't you kind of raise them up? Wouldn't you always think of that person as, man, look what they did for me? And you kind of elevate them. And so you want to you actually make them proud in how you use what they gave you. That's the same thing we should be doing for Christ. That's why obedience is key. That's why it matters how we live. Because if we truly see what he's done for us, then we're going to live for him. If we truly understand that we were dead and our trespasses in sin, yet made alive in Christ Jesus, then we're going to realize that everything that we have, our new life is going to be all focused on what Christ got us, and then we're going to obey Him. Not out of obligation, but out of love. That's what Paul's talking about here. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, and now you've become obedient from the heart the standard of teaching which you were committed from the heart. That's this new heart, this transformation that happened. Thanks be to God that we're no longer slaves of sin, but we're alive in Christ. And we live our lives obedient because of that. In verse 18, why? Because we've been set free from sin. Overcome. There's a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. If you haven't read it, you should get at it and bring it. I was going to show it to you, but I always forget books that I'm going to bring to show. I always, I always leave them in the morning. But if you haven't read that book, it's an amazing description of what it means to overcome. You can change. You don't have to sin. You can overcome that because of the power of the Spirit within you, and we set our focus on Christ. We can live for Him. We can be obedient to Him. And then when we understand that we're obedient we realize and we have to realize that it's a continual growth. It's a, it's a continual process. Some people are further along in the process. It's not an age thing. We always want to think it's, it's not that. Some people have moments where it's like all of a sudden they're just so far in understanding who Christ is. And then at moments it's like, is anything ever going to change? But we have to understand it's a continual process. And when we understand it's a continual process, not because it's our work, because it's His, then we're okay with that. We just keep living our lives focusing on Him. We place His beauty and grace and majesty on the horizon of our life, and we go to that. And we continue to seek Him. And we understand that there's the continual growth. That's really what we typically think of sanctification, is this continual process. It starts with regeneration, this new heart that you've been given by an act of God, a secret act, if you want to quote Rain Grudem again. But sanctification is a process that's God and man. See, we're involved in our sanctification because we have to continually repent and place ourselves in the guidance of the Spirit. So when there's those times that come in that, that you know you shouldn't be doing something, that, that you know you're about to cheat someone at work, you're about to, to lie about what you did, if you hear that, if you think for a second, man, I don't know if I should be doing that, that's our chance to then aid in our sanctification and resist that. 
We don't have to do that. We don't have to look at the things of the world and be drawn to it. We don't have to, to look at that. And that, the, the hard part, if we're honest, the hard part with that is that we don't like giving those things up, do we? Like we rationalize stuff. Movies, entertainment, we rationalize that. Oh, it's not that bad of a show. My dad always told me if you have to rationalize something, you shouldn't be doing it. And I, always, and I never understood that, but now I do. It's like, yeah, if you have to rationalize doing something, you shouldn't be doing it. And we should realize that that's our opportunity then. If it's going to draw you into something else to sin, you should flee from that and turn to God. And so what does this look like? It's going to lead to one thing or the other. That's verse 19. We'll stop there as we look at this. Verse 19 says, I'm speaking in human terms because there are natural limitations. I take that as Paul saying, here, I'm going to speak slow so you understand. Like here, Here it is. Pay attention. For just as you once presented your members as slaves, your members, your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And what he's saying there is, if we'll think about it for a second, everything we do to pursue our own gain, our own desires, that leads to more and more and more, that's the exact same thing we should do, but we should do it obediently to Christ that leads to sanctification. So it leads to that continual growth in understanding. As we dive into the Word, as we understand the truth, we're going to become shaped by that truth. And then we're going to understand the freedom that we have, and so we're going to live our lives more and more to that, and that produces more and more growth. Just as when you're caught in sin. Have you ever seen someone like that that's like at their, the bottom? You're like, it can't go any further. They've had to hit rock bottom, and then something else happens. It's just that cycle, right? Just continually, continually. We always think of it in a negative way. I don't know why. For some reason, my mind always thinks of drugs. And I, just, I guess I've been trained by culture to think that drugs just continue spiral and spiral and spiral, right? But do not the same people that seek wealth get trapped in the same thing? When are they satisfied? Never. They have to have more. They have to have more and more and more. And that's presenting your life to lawlessness or to sin that only produces more. But we should seek Him. That's what Paul's saying. But in the same way, present yourselves now as members as slaves to righteousness. The exact same thing's going to happen, but it's going to be positive. And that's that continual growth, that sanctification process that then continually allows us to understand that we're free in Christ. Three ways that that looks, what that looks like as, as far as application, right? Because then you're like, okay, so that's great. I'm just going to go do it, but I don't know what I'm doing, right? So there, there's three things that you can check to, to see if you're on that process. Not necessarily a checklist. You don't have to check it off and then I'm past that. It's just this continual reminders. The first is from 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So as you're continuing to live a life through obedience because of the transformation that's happened in the gospel, are you able to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Do you want to satisfy your flesh or do you not? And and as you live your life, it looks different in every one of us. There's not, I can't tell you this magical, hey, this is going to fix everyone. But I can tell you, are you able to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Because if if you're not then you have to go back to the beginning. Have you truly understood the gospel? Have you been given this new spiritual life? That's not a way to freak yourself out and think I'm not saved, but it's a check to understand what does your life look like? 
And then once you're able to do that, then it gets, it gets a, little, a little deeper. And in 1 John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's not just abstaining from the passions. It's do you actually then, okay, I can abstain from the passions, but do you seek everything in the world? Because if you do, if you seek the things of the world, then right here in John, he's saying, then you don't actually love God. The love of God's not in there. Why? Because if we truly are captivated by the grace of God, we're going to live for him. That doesn't mean that we don't live our lives. That doesn't mean that we don't work hard. It means that we should be the best workers. We should be the best employees, the best bosses. Why? Because we live for something greater. We don't need the satisfaction of this world. We have the satisfaction of the one that created it. And then ultimately, there's, those are kind of internal. And then an external thing is as simple as Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So do people look at your life and see those? Because if they don't, then you're not on that process. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in that all the time. Don't hear me say that. But there should be resemblance of that. And then eventually, as you continually grow, that comes more and more. It just increases. It increases. And you're never going to stop. That's the one thing we need to understand is that there's not going to be a point. We always want to get the finish line, right? The finish line's death, just in case you're wondering. That's the finish line of this process, is death, because then it's completed, because we've been created for something else. That's why Peter says sojourners and exiles. We're not created for this. We're created for something more. And so this process doesn't stop. You don't get to retire from living a gospel-centered life. It just looks different throughout life. And you keep seeking that and pursuing that, presenting your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Because it's in Christ alone that we have those lives. And when we do that, we'll see that we're truly free to live a life he's called us to do. And it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. We just need to seek after him, place him on the horizon of our lives. And then that continual growth will happen as the Spirit works in our lives, as we abstain from the things of the world and, res- and, and find ourselves drawn back to him. Let's pray.